Genesis chapter 2, beginning verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, good morning. You all may have heard of the acrostic tulip, sometimes referred to as the five points of Calvinism. So within this year, I would be able to cover each point within a time frame, which is more realistic. So please continue to pray for me as we embark upon this series. Let's ask the Lord for wisdom. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that we can gather, Lord, together with your saints. We have the freedoms, Lord, to gather and to worship for you and worship you and your spirit and truth. So, Father, now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O our rock and our redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The first letter in this acrostic is the letter T, which stands for total depravity. Before we get into this, it's a good thing to be reminded about all, how all this came about. As you know, here at Redeemer Presbyterian Church, as well as most Reformed churches, the focus of all of our teaching is Jesus Christ. Strange as it may seem, there are many today who insist that man has the power to make a decision for Christ. They argue that God loves everyone equally and alike. Yet, they are sure that he is going to send some people to hell. They affirm that the Bible teaches that the creator of all things is surely omnipotent. But they are also quite confident that finite man is fully capable of obstructing the will of God. In nearly every case, the problem lies in the fact that these dear people do not know Bible doctrine. They have heard nothing from their pulpits but plan of salvation sermons, minus the doctrines which make the plan. If they were asked to explain the meaning of such doctrines as redemption, propitiation, reconciliation, remission, and atonement, they would mutter some trivia or be absolutely speechless. Why, you may ask? Because they have never been taught, nor have they had the spiritual vigor necessary to discover for themselves what Scripture teaches about the work of Christ. I too was in that camp, but with good teaching and time in the Word, plus some age and history, where you can look back and really see how the Lord works in the lives of His people, you get it. You almost can't help but to get it. There is one thing they hold in common the confidence that man can use his own positive volition to accept Christ and get himself saved. So, who are they, you may ask? 
Let's do a little history. There was a Dutch theologian named Jacob Herman who lived from 1560 to 1609 and was best known by the Latin form of his last name, Arminius. Now you get what I'm talking about. You may not, you may not know that Arminius was reared in the Reformed tradition, but he leaned towards the humanist doctrines of Erasmus, for he had serious doubts about sovereign grace as it was preached by the Reformers. His disciples, called Arminians or Remonstrants, expanded the the teaching of their master. (laughs) Go figure that. So, several years after Arminius' death, they formulated his doctrines into five main points known as the five points of Arminianism. Arminianism is a system of doctrine which regards God's actions limited by and dependent upon the free actions of man. Since the churches of the Netherlands, in common with the other major Protestant churches of Europe, had subscribed to the Reformed doctrines of the Belgic and Heidelberg Confessions, the Arminians were determined to present the Dutch Parliament with a remonstrance. Children, the word remonstrance just means that they were kind of like protesters. They protested against those holding to the Reformed doctrines. This carefully written protest of the Reformed faith was submitted to the state of Holland, and in 1618, a national synod of the church was convened in Dort to examine the teachings of Arminius in light of the Scripture. Now get this. After 154 earnest sessions, which lasted seven months, the five points of Arminianism were found contrary to Scripture and declared heretical. And around this same time, the theologians of the church reaffirmed the position held by the Protestant reformers as consistent with Scripture and formulated what is now known as the five points of Calvinism in honor of that great French theologian, John Calvin. Now, to be clear, Calvin didn't come up with these points, but they were put together in his honor. So, as we go through these points during this year, I will make a comparison between the five points of Arminianism and the five points of Calvinism. This is why doctrine is so important. So let's look at point one. The Arminian says that man's will is free to choose either the word of God or the word of Satan. Salvation, therefore, is dependent upon man's work of faith. Free will, the first point of Arminianism, was that man possesses free will. The Reformers acknowledged that man had a will, 
But they agreed with Luther's thesis in his book, Bondage of the Will, that it was not free from the bondage of Satan. Arminius believed that the fall of man was not total, holding that there was just enough good left in man for him to will, in other words, to accept Christ unto salvation. Of course, the Calvinist response was that unregenerate man is in absolute bondage to Satan and wholly incapable of exercising his own will freely to trust in Christ. Salvation, therefore, is dependent upon the work of God, who must will to give man life before he can believe in Christ. Did you notice the scripture text? Maybe when it was read, you thought, what does this have to do with total depravity? Well, I'm glad you asked. It reads in Genesis, The Lord took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So, are you thinking still, what's the point? Dears, it's all about the fall. The truth that the unsaved sinner is corrupted by sin in every part of his personality and completely unable and unwilling to do any good which is well-pleasing to God. This corruption of nature is inherited from Adam. We all know what happened, right? Adam ate, Adam died. Not physical death, but spiritual death. So, what does this mean, spiritually dead being? It just means just that, you're spiritually dead. Remember, Arminius believed that we were not totally dead, and we had just enough will or freedom or whatever to either choose Christ or not. Of course, we have free will to an extent. Remember just two weeks ago in our Unison Confessional reading, we read the ninth chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith in Articles 1 through 3, all having to do with free will. And if I'm willing to accept the consequences, I can get in my truck out there on 474 and drive 100 miles an hour. So yes, we kind of have that freedom, don't we? Sorry, but when you are spiritually dead, you're not out there treading water, waiting for someone to throw a life jacket. Dead people can't can't grab a life jacket. Man's depravity or total inability to deliver himself from bondage to sin is grounded in the fact that his human spirit is dead from birth. Total depravity means that man in his natural state is incapable of doing anything 
or desiring anything pleasing to God. Until he is born again of the Holy Spirit and given a living human spirit, man is a slave to Satan. Genesis 6, 5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So you know now what truly has to happen for us to be made alive in Christ. John 3, 3, Unless man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Here's one you may get a kick out of. Who remembers the campaign for president back in 2016 when Hillary Clinton made the comment that half of the country should be counted and put in what she called a basket of deplorables? I didn't realize she was such a theologian. At least she got it half right. Huh, in reality, we all belong in that basket. I don't know about you, but I'm not too fond of being called totally depraved. And maybe you are not either. So, maybe this will help. Now, I don't want to make excuses for the theologians who came up with the acrostic tulip. I'm sure that there was a lot of head-scratching going on to come up with something that was catchy, you know, easy to remember. There were probably many other words that may have fit better, but it is what it is. So, let's look at what total depravity does not mean. It does not mean absolute depravity. This latter term means that one expresses evil of his sin nature as much as possible at all times. Total depravity, furthermore, does not mean that man is incapable of human good. We all know that even the most wicked of mankind have some human good about them, just as the finest among human mankind has some bad about them. We have all heard and read stories of gangsters and liquor barons, prostitutes and pimps, along with dope peddlers and the like, who have done deeds of human good. Here's one for you. How many times have you or I said, at least I'm not as bad as my neighbor. At least I go to church. I don't think they have ever darkened the door of a church. Or maybe this one. Well, I haven't killed anyone. He's on death row. The truth is, unless one is born again, they too are on death row, in a manner of speaking, eternal damnation. Remember, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17.9 But let's don't, let's don't get all puffed up. From a divine viewpoint, men are under condemnation because they love sin. For sin is disobedience to the will of God 
and falling short of giving God all of the glory. When man insists that he still has a spark of divine resident in his heart and that he is seeking after God, the word of God answers as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Romans three, ten and 11. You know how I like to use our great Trinity hymnal sometimes to point out things? Listen to the first stanza of hymn number 254. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would He devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Man is totally depraved in the sense that everything about his nature is in rebellion against God. Man is loyal to God, to the God of darkness, and loves darkness rather than light. His will is therefore not at all free. It is bound by the flesh to the prince of darkness grim. <laughs> that sounds familiar, right? Total depravity means that man, of his own free will, will never make a decision for Christ. Listen to John 5.40. Yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. Why does the Lord say this? Because the will of the unregenerate man is bound by the bands of sin and death to the God of the spiritually dead. Let me repeat that. Because the will of the unregenerate man is bound by the bands of sin and death to the God of the spiritual dead. So we are, as Paul said to Timothy, in the snare of the devil and taken captive by Satan at his will. That's in 2 Timothy 2.26. We often speak of common grace, in which we see people we know or assume are spiritually dead. But we can have common interests together. We interact with these people all the time in the world. So we need to look, or we need to see how that may be a perfect opportunity to witness to these people. Why then? Because maybe this is the one thing that we may have in common. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's music. Whatever. It could be anything. So let us always be ready in season and out to share what Jesus has done in our lives. Let me see if I can put some feet to this in a practical way. Many of you do not know or remember a day that Jesus wasn't in your life. But in my case, or and many others, Maybe growing up in a church I don't remember much about. Then in my teen years, not going at all or not paying much attention, 
Although, to give them a little credit, there may have been a few seeds planted along the way. But here's my point. Remember those bands of sin we just talked about? In my late 20s, or more likely my early 30s, I didn't know it at the time, but now that I can look back and see how things worked out, those bands of sin were being tugged on and probably even broken. Why then? Hmm, Maybe after a night of partying till midnight or after, something told me I should get up and go to church, even though I would sit in the back so I could make a quick getaway. Now this is just a bare bones summary, but you can see how the heart was being softened to a point Believe me, I could share a lot more. (laughs) The point is, even with my own free will, I had zero interest in the things of God until those bands began to lose their grip. So yes, now, as Paul Harvey used to say, you know the rest of the story. Did you notice the New Testament reading? Romans 3 22 to 26. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Total depravity agrees with Holy Scripture. Man cannot see or know the things which relate to the kingdom of God, without being regenerated first by the Holy Spirit. A dead spirit perceives only the things of man and Satan. Unborn children do not see the light. Dead men do not see the light. Natural, unregenerate man cannot comprehend the things of God. They, or we, are born dead spiritually, who only knows darkness. They are totally depraved, wholly incapable of thinking, perceiving, or doing anything pleasing to God, until God sees fit to give them life and understanding. Faith follows the giving of life, And the giving of a life is by the will of God. Notice the order. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. Man is not saved by some mythical act of his own free will. 
He is saved by the grace, which is unmerited favor of God, who first gives him life and then instills in his heart as a free gift. Here's one of my faiths. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. So, beloved, as we embark upon this series, some of these points are not as easy as this first one. Scripture is full of truths about man's depravity. When we speak of the will of Jehovah, we must remember that it is but the expression of his omnipotent, omniscient being. If he is omnipotent, as scripture testifies, he will achieve all that he purposes. And if he is omniscient, he will make no mistakes in his original plan nor will he ever find it necessary to alter his original purpose. Now, I'm paraphrasing, but who remembers that quote that R.C. Sproul says that if there was one maverick molecule out in space somewhere, then God is not sovereign. Do you notice the calls of worship? Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, And in sin did my mother conceive me. Beloved, God is sovereign. And there are no mistakes in his creation. And I, for one, am really happy that I, or any other created being, has any part of the things of God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit. This is the gospel. As depraved as God's people are, He loves us enough to reach into the hearts of His and soften that once stony heart, turn and soften it into a heart that desires to seek to do His will with the help of the Holy Spirit. And how do we know this? In 1 John chapters 4 and 5, it speaks of the love of God. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Now that we have heard and hopefully understand about total depravity, We can offer up praises to such an awesome and loving God who would send His only begotten Son to suffer and die for such worms as us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You, Lord, for that Savior, Lord, that You sent to save us, Lord, for such as worms as I. We thank you, Lord, to, for this opportunity to look at this series, to look at the scriptures and see what 
the word says about the five points of Calvinism and Arminianism. So, Father, we just thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for this, uh, these people, Lord, that gather together. And, Father, we just want to give you all the glory forever and ever. In Christ's name, amen.